On this episode of Blue 58, the NFL Combine is in the process of shaping NFL careers at this very moment, potentially right as you're hearing these words. Let's take a look back at a few notable cases and how this process has played out with the Packers for good and for bad. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdank. Happy to be with you here on this NFL Combine weekend. One of the great things about the Combine is we get to hear from Brian Gutekunst and this year, Matt LaFleur. Well, I guess we'll hear from him every year from here on out until his time with the Packers comes to an end, but we're not hearing from Mike McCarthy anymore. I hear he's doing uh, some things with high school basketball refs this weekend. Anyway, we get to hear from those two figureheads in the Packers organization. This used to be the only time of the year we'd hear from Ted Thompson. Instead, we get to hear from Brian Gutekunst this week and then throughout the weeks to come, multiple times per year. It's a great arrangement for us and hopefully for him as well. I don't have a lot to say about what Matt LaFleur said. There's really not a lot to add to what he said. So if you want to look up his remarks, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I think he's a pretty straightforward guy. And things are pretty uncomplicated at this point because there's nothing really to ask Matt LaFleur now that we haven't asked him before. He can't work with the players right now. There are no results to speak of for his uh, his time with the Packers. He's hired some coaches. We've asked him about that. Other than asking him, so what do you think about this guy? So what do you think about this guy? So what do you think about this guy? As reporters did at the Combine this week, there's not a whole lot else to talk about with Matt LaFleur, and I think that's fine. We don't have to talk about Matt LaFleur right now. It's February. Brian Gutekunst, on the other hand, is a different story. He has mentioned a few different things um, at the Combine this week in a few different sources, and you know, let's spend a couple minutes kind of trying to pull those all together. First, I think from his stand-up formal press conference time, uh, he had some good things to say about Aaron Jones, but I thought it was noteworthy that he said he had to work on the condition of his body so he can be available all the time. As you know, each of Jones's first two NFL seasons have ended with injuries. Hopefully that does not continue into season number three. He spoke a little bit about the Packers' interview process with all the prospects they'll talk to this week. He said they have specific questions that they want to ask each guy. They don't have a lot of standard, like, by the book questions that they ask everybody. They try to develop stuff for each individual guy as they talk to him. I think that's pretty good. He had some good things to say about uh, the Packers' rookie receivers in the years that they had. I liked what he said about Milt Hendrickson, the new personnel guy they've brought on board. He also talked a lot about free agency in his stand-up press conference time and in a couple other sources. There's one that you should check out in particular, his interview with Ian Rappaport on Rappaport's podcast. Um, he talked fairly, uh, in a fairly lengthy way about free agency and how the Packers will approach that this year and every year going forward. He seems to say that the Packers are going to be even more aggressive this year than they were last year. I think that's probably good, but something he emphasizes as well is that the Packers are going to continue to build through the draft. He said specifically, quote, I believe in having a lot of picks, which is good because the Packers have 10 of them this year. He also said that the foundation of how the Packers build their team is always going to be through the draft. And I don't think that's a big surprise, knowing his background, working with Ron Wolf, working with John Dorsey, working with Ted Thompson. 
I mean, those are all guys that understand the importance of the draft. Even though John Dorsey has been a little bit more aggressive in some other sources of talent acquisition in Cleveland, I think that's probably just a a function of some of the resources the the Browns have at their disposal right now. They kind of went through an asset-gathering phase before Dorsey arrived there, both in terms of cap space and draft picks. And he's been using those things to acquire talent through those those avenues. But he, along with Ron Wolf and, of course, Ted Thompson, all really value that draft process. And I think it's, it's not surprising to see Gutekunst kind of go that way as well. The draft, of course, is what this is all about. People aren't going to be weighing the combine a whole lot when it comes time for these guys to sign free agent contracts in a couple of years, though that may come into into consideration. But um, it's pretty much all NFL draft this week. That's what it's for. And that's what's going to be affected the most. So let's talk a little bit about the combine and how it's going to affect the Packers and how it's affected, more importantly, the Packers in the past. Uh, Dane Brugler of The Athletic said, rightly, there are basically four phases of the combine this week. There are the medical exams, the interviews, the measurements, and the testing. The medicals are pretty self-explanatory. You got to get a medical check, got to talk with uh, the doctors, make sure that any injuries that you've had in the past don't flare up again. The interviews, again, pretty straightforward. Measurements, how tall are you, how much do you weigh, how big are your hands, and the testing, all the drills that we're going to see this weekend. I think we got to take a look at how each of these phases has affected the Packers over the year, both positively and negatively. I think we've got a few good examples of players that both have borne out potential concerns and showed where concerns that pop up during this process may be not super well-founded. Sound good? Good. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Starting with the medicals. First, some contemporary perspective. Jeff Schwartz wrote a great piece for SBNation.com that you should look up about um, every aspect of the draft. He says the part that made him the most anxious was the, the visit with the doctors. Quote, they poke, prod, maneuver, contort, and bend your body and limbs in every which direction. They're looking for anything that's abnormal or double check what they see in your chart. One doctor was looking at, was checking my left knee and mentioned he felt a ligament was just a tad loose and asked me about it. I had an MCL sprain my freshman season, missed almost no practice in zero games. I was amazed he noticed it during the test. You know, there's some great stories about teams doing research on players, even uh, in their injury history, going all the way back to their high school years. It's it's pretty in-depth. It's amazing, but it makes sense too. Um, at a surface level, it almost looks a little bit creepy, but these are guys that teams are making a major investment in, both in terms of resources to acquire them and resources to keep them. And it makes sense that they would want to do all the possible due diligence on how that potential investment could go awry before it even starts. In the Packers case, sometimes they should have done a little bit more due diligence. And the name that immediately comes to mind for that, for me, is Justin Harrell. He ruptured a biceps tendon in the last season of his college career and says it was a factor in his interviews. 
Speaking to the Memphis Commercial Appeal in April of 2007, he said, A lot of teams questioned my arm, whether I was back from my injury. All 32 team doctors twisted and pulled on it in Indianapolis, and it was rechecked at the end of the month. I was confident in my arm. His arm didn't end up being the issue for the Packers, but he had significant injury issues throughout his time there. But there may have been another medical thing that popped up. Well, maybe not medical, but maybe an interview thing that popped up even the year prior that might have been an even bigger red flag. He had talked about coming out after his junior year, but decided against it when scouts told him that he would be no better than a second-round pick. But according to the same article, he says that he didn't think he was ready to handle the mental strain of playing in the NFL. I wonder what happened over the course of the next year that made him think that he was. Who knows? Um, I should mention before we get too much farther, all of this research, big, big hat tip for to Gary Zillavi for digging all this stuff up. He did some yeoman's work digging through the archives and coming up with some great medical stories about the Packers. Well, uh, all of these stories are going to be from his research. So big hat tip there. Another potentially negative story uh, from Packers history. Remember Antoine Edwards, the Packers first round pick in 1999? Well, there were some significant injury concerns there too. We turn to Bob McGinn in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel from April of 1999. Quote, cornerback Antoine Edwards, their first round draft choice from Clemson, more than likely will need surgery designed to correct a turf toe injury on his right foot that has lingered since early October. He continues later, uh, quoting a personnel director for another team, his turf toe was legit. He had it shot up a couple times during the year. It was bad. Ron Wolf, though, not concerned. Quote, I don't care what other people think. A lot of people thought Brett Favre was a second-round draft choice. Now, interestingly enough, Edwards did go on to play all 16 games his rookie season with the Packers, but that would be the only time out of his five years in Green Bay that he would play every game in a season. But sometimes medical red flags are not always accurate. And things can work out if you dig a little bit deeper. For instance, the case of Leroy Butler. From the Miami Herald in 1990, quote, Butler's draft stock fell after a January combine workout in Indianapolis where he ran the 40-yard dash in a modest 4.58. He had always been a 4-4 sprinter. The article goes on to explain that Butler had a leg injury during the season that caused him to run a little bit slow. And then when scouts from the Houston Oilers showed up later in the draft process, he ran much better. Word of that got out. The Packers then ultimately made him their pick. The red flags raised at the combine were not accurate. Same goes for Brian Bulaga, who you may not recall, but there were some significant concerns with him even prior to the draft as well. He had a thyroid condition that kept him out of three games one season in Iowa. And that caused some people to have a little bit of concern about his long-term health. He said in his pre-draft process, quote, It was a three-week thing that ran its course and now it's gone. I've been checked by doctors at the Mayo Clinic and by my doctor at the University of Iowa, both endocrinologists. I've been cleared by both of them, and I've been cleared since the Arkansas State Week, end quote. That thyroid did not end up being an issue for Brian Bulaka, though he has battled his share of injuries, to be sure, in Green Bay. Once you're done with the medicals, you go on to the interview portion. 
And Jeff Schwartz has some no, some more insight there. Everybody, he says, asks one question. No matter what else they ask you, they will ask you this. Do you love football? Here's what he has to say. The do you love football question is asked at all times. We have prepped answers, even though most of us love the game anyway. I used to question why front offices ask this question. Of course we love the game. Why would we play if we don't love it? Well, the older you get in the game and the more teammates you meet, you realize not everyone loves the games. They love the perks of the game, but don't love the process. Most of these players, even the supremely talented one, ones, will fizzle out if they don't love the game. Secondly, this question is asked to the possible draft picks because front offices love the game. They spend almost every waking hour thinking about the game. They work 12 to 18 hour days. They want, or better yet, expect their players to show dedication to the game. This is why the question is so important to the team. I guess that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, You want to make sure everybody's going to match your commitment levels. I think we've all been in situations where we've been, well, maybe in a group project of some kind. And not everybody is on the same page about effort level. In the Packers situations, these interviews are times when the Packers can clear up potential concerns that they might have. For instance, Nick Collins had some significant red flags about him regarding some low scores on the Wonderlick test. He had very low scores. He scored a 10 and a 14, and the Packers had some questions. Mike Sherman said at the time, quote, we knew athletically it was a fine athlete, but we wanted to know his mental capabilities were in relationship to learning our defense. Secondary coach Joe Baker went, spent some time with him and felt that this young man could learn our defense and get on the field. Whether he'll be the communicator initially remains to be seen. Obviously, we drafted him to educate him and train him to play for us, end quote. Seems to have worked out. Same thing happened with James Jones, the Packers' wide receiver. He said that the Wonderlick was also a big concern for teams talking to him. And if it was up to just his Wonderlick test, he would not have been drafted very high. But after talking with some teams, he was able to put some of those concerns to rest. He said he probably just didn't take it as seriously as he could have. If he'd realized how big of a deal it was going to be, he probably would have done a little bit better. Finally... A guy like Corey Lindsley also comes to mind here. You may not remember, unless you're a real diehard college football junkie, that he had been suspended for the first two games of the 2011 season for reasons that were never disclosed. But after that came up with teams, he had a chance to put their concerns to rest. Quote, He said at the Combine, I've definitely had a lot of questions about the suspension. Everybody has asked me about that, but I just have to be honest and truthful, going on to say that after the 2012 season, he really recommitted himself to football, and uh, I guess the rest is history. But interviews are not always the be-all, end-all. Some guys just don't work out, even if they interview pretty well. Javon Walker was another player who didn't do well on the Wonderlick test, but after talking with him, one notable personnel executive says, uh, you know, he didn't have any concerns. That guy would be Brian Gutekunst. Quote, he blew a lot of guys away at the Combine. This guy has all the potential in the world to be as good as he wants, said our now general manager, Brian Gutekunst, after talking with Javon Walker. And true, Walker did play pretty well, but 
maybe I don't know if there's anything that, about how things ended in his time with his time in Green Bay that would have come up in his interview process. But that doesn't mean that just because he has a good interview that you may may not have issues with him in the future, if that makes sense. I don't think there's a lot to to read into there from an interview perspective, but just because he seems like a nice guy, I guess what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. Just because he seems like a good guy, everything put together doesn't mean that you won't, that you'll always get along. Then we come to the measurements. This is the one that I think at the power sweep, we've done a good job of kind of parsing through over the past couple of years. The uh, physical attributes, the Packers like the ones that they go back to again and again. Um, the physical parameters that they use to kind of define certain positions. Those guidelines have worked for the Packers for a long time. They haven't always been good, but generally they've worked. And I think another thing those guidelines do is they tell you when you have to maybe look outside them a little bit. For instance, in the case of Jair Alexander, he's a little bit below what the Packers would normally consider for their height threshold at defensive back. And Brian Gutekunst addressed that after the Packers picked him up. Quote, when you have a corner that lacks great height like that, sometimes you start to say, is he just a nickel? Can he play inside, play outside? I think all our staff, the personnel staff and the coaching staff felt really good about him playing inside and outside. He's a dynamic, explosive athlete. So we felt really good about making, kind of making an exception. And he was kind of right on the borderline there. End quote. And he was. He's really right at five foot ten. And if you're getting that close, I think it just comes down to talent. But if you're going to say it just comes down to talent, you better get the talent question right. As in the case of the guy who preceded Jair Alexander as a height exception and was brought up even last spring, Terrell Buckley. At the time, well, not at the time, but at uh, concerning Buckley, Ron Wolf, the guy who drafted him, said, we have always stressed size and speed here. He was one case where we went against the norm. You can bet your bottom dollar we won't do that again. So why did he make the exception? Well, as you remember, the other guy on the draft board with Terrell Buckley was Wisconsin quarterback Troy Vincent, significantly bigger than Buckley. So why did Ron Wolf go with Buckley over Troy Vincent at the time? It came down to man-to-man coverage. Quote, Buckley can play off and play tight. You watched him cover against people he's going to play against here from Miami, Florida, Michigan. There's no reason that Vincent can't, but I know I don't know that he can. You never saw that with Troy, end quote. Well, as it turned out, Buckley did struggle a little bit to do the things that they thought he could do. Troy Vincent on the other hand, went on to have a very long career. Not to say that Buckley didn't, but Vincent probably would have been the better pick for the Packers at the time. But again, just because a guy doesn't meet the traditional physical guidelines doesn't mean he can't be a good player. We'll circle back again to Corey Lindsley. There were concerns about Lindsley dating back to the Combine. 
From the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in 2014, quote, Lindsley has short arms, though, at 32 inches and was the second lightest offensive lineman at the NFL Combine at 296 pounds. Today, Lindsley weighs 300, but he'll always be on the small side. Most general managers had a late round grade or priority free agent signing on Lindsley. Clearly, that was a brutal mistake and a major feather in the cap of Packers general manager Ted Thompson for finding Lindsley, end quote. Absolutely. Ted Thompson should get some significant credit for drafting Corey Lindley where he did. But finally, and finally, it all comes down to the testing. The 40-yard dash, the three-cone drill, the vertical leap, the bench press, other drills that I can't think of right now. You know them, and you've seen all the times coming out already. Is testing the be-all, end-all? No. But does testing help you confirm what players you're interested in? Yes. This can be true in a few different ways. First, testing can help you confirm that maybe a guy's performance at the combine isn't going to be the deciding factor for you. For instance, Craig Newsom, back in the early 90s, did not run at the, well at the combine, but the Packers came in with a later workout and timed him at a faster time, and that alleviated their concerns. From the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in 1995, quote, Newsom dug himself a hole among scouts by running 40 yards in a super slow 4.7 seconds at the combine. He saved himself hundreds of thousands of dollars by vindicating himself in individual workouts this spring. Quote, we had him under 4.5 on grass, Ron Wolf said. I think that's fast enough. Double end quote, I guess. Um, so there you see the Packers understanding that they thought of a guy a little bit differently than his original time at the combine. They brought him in, took an extra look at him, and figured, eh, this is more in line with what we thought, and drafted him for that reason. Similar example is Micah Hyde. He was slow at the combine. He was slow on the slower side in, in the NFL, but when the Packers used him well, he performed really well. And when the Buffalo Bills used him at a position where maybe his athletic limitations were even less of a concern, he played even better still. Testing can tell you some things, and I think the things we learned from Micah Hyde's testing showed us the kind of player that he was. And he was basically that exact guy for the Packers and the Bills. It's just how he was used that was changed. But testing can also blind you a little bit. Or blind you a lot. Here's two cases that will go on, or that will go out on. Both from the early 2000s. One is a defensive end, the other is a defensive back. And if you guessed Jamal Reynolds for the defensive end one... You are correct. Ron Wolf got a little bit blinded here by Jamal Reynolds. He thought he had a big one here, and he said that much. Speaking to the Chicago Sun-Times, he said this, Reynolds is a potential star. We don't have a Reggie White, that's obvious, but what we do have in Reynolds is somebody who the other team is going to have to wonder where he is. I don't think we're overstating what he can do. He's a tremendous backside player. Tremendous. Well, Ron, actually you are overstating what he can do because he did not do much in Green Bay. 
and he left there very quickly and was not the sort of game-changing force that they thought he was going to be in Green Bay. Not to be overshadowed, though, Mike Sherman made a bad choice of his own in the draft based off some testing numbers. That defensive back that we talked about was Ahmad Carroll, a little bit on the shorter side as well. And there were some concerns about his level of play too. The consensus even at the time was that he probably should have stayed in school for another year. And some people even asked him about that along with his height. And Ahmad Carroll himself said, that's a good question. But after I get through running the 40, they should have no questions. That was absolutely true because the Packers were pretty much blown away by his his testing at the Combine. Here's some stuff from the Florida Times Union that almost sounds laughable in hindsight. Carroll was a sprinter on his college track team and ran a 4-3-4 second 40-yard dash in the 2004 NFL Combine, wearing a size 15 shoe. Carroll has been clocked in the 40-yard dash as low as 4.26 seconds and set a state record in the 100-meter dash during high school. Len Pascarelli loved him too. You remember him? He used to pop up all sorts of places on ESPN. Uh, he said of Carroll, like most of the corner prospects this year, Carroll lacks size but is solidly built and ran a 4.34 with a 41-inch vertical. I know we rag on people for getting blinded by the measurables and stuff like that, but sometimes it's hard not to. You have to remember that this is a super controlled environment, and if you can't perform your absolute best here, where are you going to? I mean, pro days are even worse. But take all of these things with a grain of salt and remember that they may not even be accurate. And people may not even remember them accurately. While I've got you here, let's talk a little bit about that. This is one of my favorite pieces that we've done at the Power Sweep. Aaron Rodgers and his disputed 40-yard dash time. I'll throw up a link to it, maybe on Twitter or something. Um, But you can just you search it, just do the Power Sweep. Aaron Rodgers' 40-yard dash time. He has told everybody for years that he ran a 4.66 at the Combine, that somebody told him that. The official time that they have on Aaron Rodgers, though, at the NFL Combine when he was going through the process is a 4.71. And we think we can actually explain the difference. Here's what it is. There's a couple possibilities here. First, the timing process at the Combine up until very recently was pretty bad. We mentioned this at the uh, at, on our last episode. It was pretty much just um, Charlie Casserly sitting in the stands and timing things by himself. And for that matter, Michael Lombardi, the former NFL general manager, writes in The Athletic that NFL teams all consider the official time that you see on the screen when you're watching combine coverage as unofficial. They use their own timers as the official time, which they take themselves by hand. But... So that's one possible source. But for Rodgers, there's even another source. The Green Bay Packers themselves, who say that in off-season workouts after he was drafted, Aaron Rodgers was clocked in the 40 at, get this, 4.66 seconds. Maybe that's where he got that time from. Who knows? All that to say, take everything that you see and hear and read coming out of the combine with a grain of salt. Because not e- we can't even agree on what the actual time is of something that we're all watching unfold directly in front of us. It seems like we should be better than that. We're not quite there yet. It's only 2019, I suppose. Thank you so much for listening. 
Support us if you'd be so kind by leaving us a review on iTunes or by dropping in a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or by buying one of our fine t-shirts or sweatshirts from our Teespring store by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. You can find us, as you always do, at that website or on Facebook or on Twitter or by reaching out via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do love to hear from you, however form you choose to reach out. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.